0: as a guys collect your cards just want to give you another one other last quick update it was five years ago this summer that we purchased this property this building that we're sitting in that we're enjoying and uh, during that, during the past five years, uh, we not only uh, we've slowly paying down the debt of what we owed on this property, and you can see the the numbers there. I shared these a couple of weeks ago, and we've seen those. If you haven't seen these before, just take a moment, and kind of skim down through some of those numbers. So we came into this summer with a balance of five hundred fifty thousand to pay off of uh, the property, and our plan is to take a mortgage. And as we were planning for that, our staff and elders said, "What if we could pay that even down further?" And the money we were going to use to pay a mortgage. We could set that money aside and invest that in what God has for us in the next few years to impact our community in more significant ways. And so I challenged our church, if you call CCC your church home, to pray about making a one-time gift this summer to this, what we're calling planting seeds campaign, a one-time gift. And so since I announced this back in the early part of June, I wanted to give you an update on where we're at so far. So the amount of money that has come in for that is $153,910. So that's pretty cool, isn't that? That's amazing. That's like 25% of that total. So um, my wife and I were just talking last night about what our contribution is going to give, going to be. And so if you haven't done that, and again, if you, this is for those of you that call CCC your church home. If you would pray about making a one-time contribution this summer. Um, And you can do that a couple ways. You can write it on your check. You can just write planting seeds. If you give by check, you can go, if you give online, there's a planting seeds option. You can also text to give 77977-COCALICO-GIVE, and you can give that way. So um, we're excited about that. Um, That leaves us with 396,000, so we're under 400,000. That's very exciting uh, for us to be able to continue to pay that down and plant seeds that we believe God is going to bring About amazing things in the future. Well, if you haven't been here with us this summer, our summer series has been entitled This I Believe, This I Believe, and it's based on a document called the Apostles Creed. The Apostles Creed was created uh, over 1,600 years ago by a group of Christ followers who wanted to lay out a foundation of belief, foundation of belief, and so they, they, what we would say today, they bullet-pointed their faith. They took all of God's truth, and they said, what are the most important elements, and let's put those in bullet points so we can remember them, and we can recite them, and when groups of Christ followers gather, they can say those things together, and so in the process of doing that, we discovered things like uh, the fact that God allows us space to explore our faith, space to doubt before we come to a place of belief. We've looked at the fact that God is infinitely powerful and intimately personal. We looked at the fact that Jesus took this riches to rags story from heaven to earth to come to a place to pay for our sins on the cross. We talked about the fact that without the resurrection, if you kick the resurrection out of the bottom of our faith, our faith would collapse and it would be pointless. We talked about the fact that one day God will open up the books and judge the living and the dead. And then the last week we talked about the Holy Spirit Talking about how valuable the Holy Spirit is. And without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have had creation because he was there at creation. Without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't have had God's word because it says the Spirit moved and spoke to the men who wrote God's word down. Without the Holy Spirit, there would no be, be no virgin birth because Jesus was born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. There'd be no victory over Satan by Jesus in the wilderness who was led by the Spirit. No restraint against sin, no expectation of the coming Savior. And so the Holy Spirit is valuable. And my challenge to you last week was not to miss the Holy Spirit, His person, His presence, and His power. And if you weren't here with us last week and you missed any of the weeks, I encourage you to go online to our website and catch up on those weeks you missed. But to get us caught up, would you read with me together the parts of the Apostles' Creed we've gone through so far? So let's read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And that's where we ended last week. And so this week, as we jump in this week, we're going to tackle this phrase that says the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints. The Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints. And when we talk about the church, often the church is represented in this Peanuts uh, cartoon. And in this Peanuts cartoon, Lucy walks in the room and says to her brother Linus, which is this is a normal thing that happened in most families, switch channels. You know, the older sisters bossing around. I said, Lucy said, switch channels. I want to watch my program. Linus then replies, are you kidding? What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? To which Lucy responds, these five fingers, individually they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus responds, what channel do you want? And then he sighs, looks at his own hand and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? And all too often, that's the picture of the church. Why can't the church get organized? Why can't the church figure out how to work together, how to move forward, how to make a difference, how to make an impact? But the truth is, when the church does, when the church finds a way to work together, to use their gifts and abilities, their strengths and weaknesses to complement one another, they make a huge impact. You see, when the church worships together, there's nothing like it. When the church serves together in our community, there's nothing like it. When the church lives out their faith every day, there's nothing like it. When the church walks together through pain with each other, there's nothing like it. Because you see, God's plan is for the church to change the world. Not to to be changed by president leading our country. Not to be changed by throwing out the Congress and getting a new Congress in to try to eliminate the, the deadlock in Congress not even to abandon political parties as somehow, but that the church is the only thing that can change this world. And this morning, what I'd like to do is walk through each phrase in this creed and then look at a passage of Scripture that I believe best illustrates that. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. the creed begins by saying the holy universal church. And the word holy is a word that means unique, distinct, separate. It's a word that first shows up in the Old Testament. They're talking about um, God instructing the people of Israel to offer a sacrifice. And they would take a portion of the sacrifice, the animal that they would offer, and they would set that aside for the priest. That's what they lived off. And that part was considered to be holy unto the Lord. It was to cut out, to set apart as separate and unique. And often that's how the church is viewed. Set apart, separate and unique, but not in a positive way, in a very negative way. The church is considered out of touch, out of date, holier than thou, trying to force their ways on people, intolerant, and has a very negative perspective to it. But the truth is, this idea of being holy is actually a very significant thing, because it's in the New Testament, it's set aside for a specific purpose. And as I thought about an illustration of something that's set aside for a specific purpose, my mind went to the Navy SEALs, the Special Ops Task Force. You know, the Navy SEALs don't go in when they're building a bridge somewhere. The Navy SEALs don't go in when they're, you know, when they're doing community restoration. The Navy SEALs don't go in when there's a disaster relief. The Navy SEALs are called upon when there's a special mission that no one else can accomplish, that no one else is skilled or capable to pull off, and their task to do something that most of us could not even fathom all the components and all the elements that are needed to do that. And when God talks about the church being holy, when this phrase talks about the church being holy, it's talking about this organization, the church, and we're going to talk about what that means in just a few minutes, that God's got a unique purpose for the church, a unique purpose. The second phrase is the universal church, the universal church. Older translations of the Apostles' Creed will often put the word Catholic in there with a case c, and universal and Catholic actually mean the same thing what I believe the writers indicated was it meant every person who's alive today on planet Earth who's a follower of Jesus. Not the local church like this is. This is a local church in this community, but the universal church. The universal church. you we say, well, John, isn't Catholic? Isn't that Roman Catholic? No, it's not, because it's a lowercase c, not an uppercase c. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church did take this statement, this phrase, and they added more information to it, saying that, that it was only the churches who believed that the pope was authoritative and that the teachings and authority of the church were on the same level as, as the Bible. And they modified that in the Nicene Creed. But the original statement of the Apostles' Creed was, all, was listing those individuals who are Christ followers today. And the third phrase is the communion of saints. Communion of saints. Now, let's say, what's a saint? What's a saint? Isn't that one of those people that they got a statue about them, something, and they go to sainthood, something like that? Well, that is one process that some traditions have, where there's people who are humble servants, they've demonstrated great humility, um, great virtue, they've done something miraculous, and then they've been dead for a period of time, and then they get canonized by the church. There's 5,000 of them, but that's not what this is referring to. You see, in the Bible, it says that every person who's a follower of Jesus, who's placed their faith in Jesus is a saint. So every person in this room who says, I'm a follower of Jesus, they are called a saint. And this phrase is used over and over and over again in the Bible. In Romans 1, 7, Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He says, to all in Rome are loved by God and called as saints. Romans 12, 13, he says, contributing to the needs of the saints. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 11, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints. Our modern translations translate that word to the word holy ones. Again, unique and separate and set apart. And this word's used over 50 times in the New Testament to refer to a follower of Jesus. But the problem is, lots of people don't believe that's really true. The holy universal church communion of saints. And a lot of people say, well, I don't really believe the church is full of saints. Actually, I believe the church is full of hypocrites. People who say they do one thing and then do another. And because of that, I've given up on church. I've given up on church. And maybe you've heard these statements. Maybe you even said these statements. I believe in God, but I don't believe in the church. I've given up on organized religion. I'm here because someone's given me lunch afterwards. That's the only reason I'm here, but I've given up on organized religion. I don't need to go to church to worship God. I can worship God, you know, in the woods, or I can worship God on the beach, or I can worship God at my cabin in the woods, or I can worship God when, you know, I'm out on the water. I can worship God anywhere, and the truth is you can. You can, but a lot of people have used that as a reason to give up on the church. Studies show that over 21,000 people have stopped going to church every week, and they don't go back. They don't go back. And then there's another category, and these are individuals who are not negative about the church. They've just kind of decided that church, well, it's one of those options that's probably at the bottom. I would normally go to the beach, but it's kind of raining, so we're going to scratch the beach out. And I would normally go to the cabin in the woods, but somebody else booked it for this week, and so, well, okay, I guess we'll go to church. There's nothing else left to do. That's why attendance goes up on a rainy Sunday. I'm just kidding. I don't know if it does, but um, you know, people say it's inwardly focused, it's full of hypocrites, it's boring. And the truth is, as imperfect as the church is, and ours is as well, I believe that God has said the church is the hope of the world. And if you're someone that's a follower of Jesus, that God has saved and rescued and called you to be one of his own, my challenge for you is to be a part of the church. But not just to go to church, not just to go to church, but to be the church, to be the church. You see, the church is not just rules and and organization and buildings and events. It's more than that. It's more than that. I don't know how many of you when you were a little kid you maybe heard this little rhyme, you know, you'd put your fingers together, you know, like this and you said, "Here's the church and here's the steeple." You can do it with your fingers. Some of you are starting to do that like you went back to 5 years old, you know. You know, "And open the door and there's all the what?" People, right? Right? That's exactly right. Now maybe a little more accurate way to say it is, "Here's the building, here's an antiquated religious symbol and here's the church because the people are the church. The people are the church the first time the word church was used is in Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus is talking to Peter and his disciples, and he says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, they're standing on this big, huge rock, and um, he says, I'm going to build my church. And that word church means assembly or gathering. Now, they didn't have buildings. They didn't have church buildings. They didn't have anything like that. He says, I want to build something. It's going to start with you, Peter. Notice he says the gates of hell will not overcome it. Gates are usually defensive, defensive, but he said they're not going to overcome it. They're not going to take over it. You're going to be able to stand firm. Church is going to be proactive and forward focused. It's actually going to kick in the gates of hell and free people from a hopeless eternity. Because you see, the church is not a building. The church is not a time slot in your calendar. The church is not an organization. But the church is something more, something more. And so my challenge for you today, let me go back there, is not to go to church, but to be the church. What would it look like for say, we don't go to church, but we are the church. We don't go to church, we are the church. I going to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2. I don't have the page number there in your seats. The Bible's there in your seats, but if you know where that is, you can look in the, end, um, the table of contents in the beginning. The book of Acts is where we're going to go. You can follow along your phone on the screen, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is uh, the activities of the apostles, of Jesus' followers. And so Acts 2 is where the activities of Jesus' followers get started. And so there's this event that occurs. Jesus had left the earth. He's no longer here. And his disciples are scared. They're not sure what's going to happen. They're like, the one who could save us and rescue us is gone. Are they coming after us next? What do we do? And they huddled up in a room and they said, We don't know what else to do, so we're just going to pray. That's all we know to do. And um, God's Spirit showed up and then sent Peter out. This is 49 days after Jesus rose from the dead. He sends out Peter, a fisherman. His first message and he says, with many other words he, war, war, words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. What happened as a result of that? Those who accepted his message were baptized, just like Mike talked about. They believed and then they were baptized. And if you believe, we encourage you to be baptized. And 3,000 people were added to that number that day. Some people worry about the church getting too big, but God decided this church was ready for more and said, you're getting 3,000 all in one shot. That's what God decided on that day. And then what happened? What happened? Did they decide, well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but I don't really believe in organized religion, so I'm good following Jesus, and that's it? No, that's not what happened. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had needs. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It says they devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They said this was going to be a priority. Church for them was not an address. Church for them was not a building. Church for them was not a time slot. There were no church buildings for over 300 years. You see, their lives had been changed by Jesus, and they're like, how does this affect every part of our lives? This is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to us. And so my question to you this morning is to ask yourself, what keeps you from being devoted to not just the church, but to the people of the church? Maybe it's your pace of life, maybe it's your schedule, your kids' schedule, other responsibilities, you just get busy and preoccupied. And you're like, do I really need it? I don't know if I need it. You know, one of the things that amazes me is that professional athletes, athletes at the top of their game, still have coaches. Wouldn't you think that the best players in the world wouldn't need coaches anymore? You know, Brooks Kepka, one of the best golfers, they have swing coaches You know, best basketball players, you know, Harden, Westbrook, LeBron, Durant, all those guys, they have coaches. Best baseball players in the the country, they all have coaches. Why do they have coaches? Because they know that they need someone who's paying attention to them and realigning them so they stay focused on doing what they do the best they could possibly do it. One of the reasons why church is important is because it gives you an opportunity each week to come back and be reminded of what's important. And these individuals, they were devoted. They were devoted. They didn't know much else, but they were devoted. And I want to look at two things that I think they were devoted to for us to pay attention to. A lot of times when people look at the the church in the first century or that people say, well, why can't our church be just like a New Testament church? I was like, because we don't live in the New Testament anymore. That's why, you know, or shouldn't we be like a first century church? Well, the problem is we live in the 21st century, you know. Um, But there's principles that we can pick up from this that speak to us. And that's what I want to look at for the next few minutes the first thing that was true of them is they were devoted to God. They were devoted to God. It says there in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles know, the disciples? Did they have Bibles and they were teaching people? They didn't have Bibles. What did they know? All they knew is what Jesus had taught them. That's all they knew. I mean, it says in John's gospel that if we were to have a record of everything that Jesus did, a library wouldn't be big enough to hold all the books. And so what did the disciples, they're like, well, he kept talking about this. He kept talking about love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your... The Sermon on the Mount, they probably heard dozens of times everywhere Jesus went. He would preach the same sermon over and over again. And they're like, well, this is all we know. This is what Jesus said. And they said, we got to pay attention to that. What else did they do? It says they were filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There was stuff that was going on. God was showing up. He was doing amazing things. They're like, oh, you won't believe what happened here. You would not believe this took place. I can't believe this. One of the questions we ask in a lot of settings in the life of our church is, where's God showing up in your life today? Where's God showing up? You know, Jesus said this. He said, my father is always at work, and I too am working. Paul said, God, if you're a follower of his, God begins a good work in you and he continues it till you leave this earth. So I mean, God's always doing something in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, always, always, always. The question is, what is it? What is it? What's God doing in your life? Yesterday I went to an auction. I don't go to many auctions. I rarely go to auctions, but I went to auctions and um, I got um, seven interior doors for five bucks. Now that's a good deal. That's a good deal. Um, there's a few extra at the auction place. I actually bought a whole pile. I didn't want the whole pile, but the guy said, you got the whole pile. So I just took what I wanted and left. I don't know if you're supposed to do that, but that's what I did. So I can tell you where they are if you want more doors, but, um, (laughs) that was a pretty cool thing. You know, that's a couple hundred bucks I got for five bucks, you know, got to clean them up a little bit, do a little bit of painting and place some doors in my house. It's pretty amazing. I was excited about that. Um, walk down the lobby, a guy starts talking to me, never met him before. He's never been here before woman walks out and said, "Um, uh, thanks for preaching that message. I said, well, you're welcome. She said, my father's here and he doesn't go to church. He's an atheist. I was like, wow, wow. He heard a message about why the church is important and what it should be all about. Um, What's God doing in your life? Where's he showing up? And these individuals, they were like, wow, God showed up here. Did you see what he did here? Did you hear about this? Did you see this? And that's what should happen in our small groups. You're just amazed at what God's doing. And then when you come here to worship, it's like the tank is so filled up, you just kind of pour out your heart and worship to God. Because of the amazing things that are happening. It says every day they met together in the temple courts. Why were they meeting together? Well, what was happening in that day is, is Jews from all over the known world had gathered in Jerusalem for this festival that they, did, they gathered for every year. And it was at this festival when there's thousands of Jews in this little tiny town called Jerusalem and there's a few hundred people that live. There's thousands of people and Peter preaches his message and thousands of them come to know Jesus. And they're like, we gotta keep hearing more. We gotta keep hearing more. We gotta keep hearing more. And the last thing they did is they devoted themselves to prayer. They decided, we're going to ask God for things we can't do ourselves. We're going to ask God to do the impossible. And when he does, and even when he shows up in ways we were not expecting, we're going to praise God for those things. They were devoted to God. They were devoted to God's truth. They were devoted to celebrate what God was doing. They were devoted to humbling themselves and crying out to God and asking for him to show up. And that's what they did in the first century. That's what the church was supposed to be about. And that's what we hope our church does. That when you come here, you get a chance to hear God's word. But that's not all you live off of. Because if you only have one meal a week, you're going to be pretty hungry the rest of the week. But that you crack this book open, you open up and you say, God, what, what are you saying to me today? And you just simply ask this question, where's God showing up today? Where, where did he show up? You celebrate that, and the things that you can't tackle, that you have no idea how to tackle, you bring to God in your small group, in your ministry team, people that you know. Not only were they devoted to God, but they were devoted to each other. Let's look at some ways they were devoted to each other. It says they were devoted to fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is not a meal in a pot called a potluck. I'm not sure what's lucky about a potluck other than that you get some food. Um, why did they come up with that name potluck? I have no idea where that thing came from. Um, but that's not really what fellowship is. An easy way to remember what fellowship is is just two fellows in a ship. You know, that's what fellowship is, two fellows in a ship. Let's put them in a rowboat instead of a ship. Okay, so you got two fellows in a rowboat instead of a ship, and and what are these guys gonna have to do to move anywhere in the rowboat? What are they gonna have to do? Work together, row, right? Somebody said row. Yes, it's obvious. They have to row. We know that. They're in a rowboat, but they have to work together because if they don't work together, if they're rowing opposite ways, they're not gonna go anywhere, And that's really what fellowship is. It's people that say, we're going to work together to make something happen. It's united in purpose. They know where they're going together. And how did that happen for these individuals? It said, first of all, they were together and they had everything in common. They shared all their stuff. They shared everything they had. We talk about this all the time, all the time. Do you hold your stuff loosely? Well, I, I, I loaned it to them last time, and, and it didn't quite come back in the right condition. I'm, I'm not really sure I want to loan it out because it, who, knows, who knows if it'll even come back, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whose stuff is it anyways? Is it yours or God's? Well, it's God's, but I, I kind of like my stuff. Well, whose stuff is it anyways, you know? Do we hold our stuff loosely? Do we say, God, It's yours. And if someone else needs it, I'm going to trust they need it. And if it doesn't come back in the condition it left, I'm going to trust you're going to take care of that somehow because it's all your stuff. It's not my stuff. It's your stuff. And because they held everything in common, what happened? It says they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. It doesn't say they stored extra stuff in their attic or because they ran out of room in their house that they rented a storage unit to store more of their extra stuff. It doesn't say that, but that's what we as Westerners do, right? And then we try to sell our junk to somebody else and make a few shekels off of all of our junk, you know, right? Um, but that's not what they did. They said, let's just get rid of this. Let's, let's kind of sell this. Let's get rid of this. And you know what? Somebody needs something. Let's just bless them with it. Let's just bless them with it. I mean, that's how devoted they were. They were united in purpose to each other that they didn't want anybody to have a need. It says they also were devoted, should have highlighted there, to the breaking of bread. It's the breaking of bread. And what was that? They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They spent time together with one another around the table, around meals, over and over and over again. You know, you can't be the church and live in the woods in a cabin by yourself. You can't. You can't 47 times in the New Testament it says you're supposed to do something in relationship to one another, someone else. Someone else. And so you are supposed to do things for other people and you are supposed to allow other people to do things for you. Let me say that again. You are supposed to do things for other people. That's you doing them for others. And you're supposed to allow other people to do them for you, even if you haven't ever done that in your whole life. That means you're not self-sufficient. That means you don't not ever ask for help. Even if you know how to do it yourself. You say, why would I do that, John? Because God says you should. Well, I don't need their help. It doesn't matter. God says you invite them into your life. You do life together. If you're a Christ follower, God has called you not only into relationship with him, but in relationship with other people. Ask yourself this question. When this past week did I engage someone other than my family who I have to live with and my job where I have to go to get paid? Ask yourself that question. Ask yourself that question. You see, because God doesn't call us to attend a church. He calls us to be the church. And that means we're involved in one another's lives in ways that are challenging and hard and difficult. It means we face struggles together. We walk through life together. We lock arms with one another. And we are the church. When you're devoted to God and you're devoted to one another, God does amazing things in our lives. How's the story end? They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Remember, they lived in the Roman, under Roman rule. Everybody was gracious towards these individuals. Everybody was amazed at these individuals. And they experienced kindness and graciousness from everybody. And what did God do? God said, they can handle more. God said, they can handle more. God said, they can handle more. You know the scary part about if we as a church were the church? You know what God's going to say to us? You can handle more. God, this is more. I I can't handle this. I I don't even know all these people. I can't even keep track of them. No, you can handle more. You can handle more. This is a place, this is a community that's healthy, that loves me, that loves one another. And you know what? I want more people to experience this. I want more people to be involved in groups. I want more people to bring their kids here. I want more people to see what God's doing here. And you know what happened to this church? They changed the world. They changed the world. They did exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16 and 17, where he said to them, you are the what? salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He said I want you to go and let your good deeds. The actions that you do, they will because people see your actions, they're going to do what? They're going to glorify, they're going to praise God as a result of this. We don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church. And what if God's saying to you, I don't want church just to be about a place. I don't want church just to be about an address. I don't want church just to be about a time slot in your schedule on Sunday that you're trying to get done so you can get to other things. What if church is about you engaging with people and with me? You know, 2,000 years ago, a group of Christ followers committed themselves to this. And they changed the world. And I want to suggest to you that Lancaster County doesn't need more church buildings you've lived here any length of time, you know we've got lots of church buildings in Lancaster County. But what Lancaster County needs is people who are willing to be the church. Say, John, how do I do that? How do I do that? The first thing that you do is you say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Because I can't be the church and have life all about me. If I'm going to be the church, that means I'm going to have to give some things up. I'm going to have to sacrifice some things. If I'm going to be in a small group with people and not just go to the small group, and, but be involved in their lives, I'm going to have to sacrifice something. If I'm going to serve other people on a weekly basis or somewhere in ministry, that means I might have to give up a little bit more of my Sunday to serve people. So you've got to ask yourself the question, what does God want me to change? What does God want me to do for me to not just attend a church, to stop attending church, but to be the church. Would you bow your heads with me as we close in prayer? God, as we read this story about what happened in that first century, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. You... um, You used Peter's words and several thousand people came to know Jesus and, and it turned their lives upside down. And yeah, they were in a place out of their element and they needed one another and relied on each other. But again, you're not asking us to reproduce that experience in the first century, but you're saying, what would it look like for us to be devoted to you first, to celebrate what you're doing, to be in your word and prayer, and then devoted to one Another. And not just to show up and to check in, not just to attend, but to be the church. And God, you know what that looks like for each of our lives. You know what that looks like in each of our story. And I pray this week that we would just kind of wrestle with, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to start doing? What do you want me to stop doing to be the church? Help us, God, to get clarity about that, point the way, and give us the courage to honor you and walk with you today, we pray in your name. Amen.